Welcome to episode 22 of Something Inventive, Bad Interfaces. Jonathan Pollinger steps in for Al as we discuss Snapchat's recent design change, Facebook's newsfeed favouring meaningful social interactions, and big brands on social media. The sponsor for this episode is the Ticked-Off Marketing Checklist. Sign up for a free seven-day trial at ticked-off.com with just your email and absolutely no credit card. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, it's good to speak to you again. You're welcome, Ben. Good to speak to you too. No, thank you. I know you're standing in for Al. He uh, he was very busy. He's got a, a client project he's working on, and I thought I'd just take that stress away from him. And you, thankfully, stood in his place. So thank you for doing no that. No worries at all. Pleasure. Um, so we've got quite a few things to talk about, and some of them are quite timely in terms of looking at social media, which is where your um, key areas are. But but for listeners who don't know you, perhaps you can just give me a quick rundown and um, and share what you do, and then we'll get straight into the topic. Sure. Uh, well, social media is uh, very much my focus, and I've been helping businesses, organizations, and charities, quite a few charities lately, actually. With their yeah, with their uh, use of uh, social media since uh, two thousand and nine. So uh, kind of like looking back on it, I was actually one of the UK's first social media consultants, and uh, really enjoy it. Uh, love the fact that it's uh, which is kind of what we'll be talking about today, I guess, an ever changing and fast moving landscape. Yeah. And I guess my strength is one of experience because of those uh, eight, nine years. And also the fact that I am good at keeping up to date with the latest features, functions and trends and trying to figure out ways that clients can can take advantage of those. No, you are. I, I do try and catch your um, weekly, or it's generally weekly, uh, Facebook Live yep. um, posts, which is like your your version of a podcast, but but within actually live and broadcast um video yeah which is a hard thing to do so i uh, i think you're doing really well with those i do try and catch them as i said before i think um i'm very much podcast orientated sure. it's very easy for me to catch up on things while i'm out walking the dog so i don't always have time but i do appreciate them um and you certainly do um keep up to date on twitter so if people want to find out more about what um jonathan's got his head in at the moment it's definitely worth following you online it's, it's at um, inventive uh, internet future isn't it yeah at internet future right the way across uh, all social media pretty much yeah yeah excellent and you mentioned charities yeah so i i think i've heard you online um seeing where you're you're going but tell me a bit more about that is there any difference between how a charity uses social media and a, and a just as a sort of regular business yeah it's massive really i guess the similarity first of all is one of awareness because both a business and a charity wants to raise general awareness of what it is they, they do and uh, themselves as a, as a brand. But fundamental differences would be about actual business or quote organization objectives. So whereas a business wants to right. increase sales and make money, a charity wants to fundraise, but that's, you know, it's about money, but it's a different thing entirely, especially when it comes to social media. And there's a lot on the volunteering aspect as well. So both recruiting new volunteers, but also usually creating a community out of those volunteers so that they feel mm-hmm. they feel loved and wanted and they'll, they'll continue to continue to volunteer. So I, I'd say that the fundraising and the volunteer aspect and possibly 
you know, that, that whole community aspect that perhaps businesses are trying to get into more these days. Well, quite a lot of charities are already there, um, particularly yeah, with yeah. people that are donating to them and and their volunteers. They do have that community aspect to them. And of course, social media is, is great for that. It sounds very similar to what some uh, larger companies are trying to do with um, staff engagement as well. You're talking about the volunteer side of things. Um, you could look at that as almost staff engagement, how you can keep people involved and interested in driving the company forward or supporting the charity in this case. And I see that as very similar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's quite a nice approach because a lot of businesses just think about getting more customers and they're just maybe just shouting at their customers often. Um, and it's nice to think about all the different people you work with internally and externally as well. Yeah, yeah, no, def- definitely. I think it's about keeping people up to date with what's going on but you know there's mm. there's always a sort of what's in it for, for for me factor so you know volunteering it makes people feel good so it's often a question of pointing out the advantages of of that and the actual benefits of uh dedicating your your time and efforts to a charity yeah exactly um thank you for that before we go on i'll just quick give people a quick rundown what we're going to be looking at um this podcast um, we've got some follow-up, which I'll come to, on the self-destruct sequence that Al and I talked about uh, on episode 21 last time. Um, we're going to be looking at the Facebook feed changes and how that might impact things. Um, the chickenless KFC. So this is just an observation on um, something, uh, an issue that KFC was going through and how they manage that on social media. And then we've got a couple of links I just want to go over. Um, and we'll look at it like that. But first, starting with the follow-up. Now, I don't know if you caught the last episode, um, Jonathan, but Anne and I were uh, digressed and went uh, and were talking about the self-destruct sequences and how they're quite elaborate in films and they, you've got a lot of pop-up widgets and things that need to be done um, and how that process might uh, be designed. Well, interestingly enough, um, in and around that time, uh, Hawaii had their missile alert, yeah. which um, apparently how this works is that um, every shift change um, uh, in the, um, I, I, I guess, the nuclear warning area. I can't remember the actual organization's name. Um, every sh- shift change they have, they run a test to make sure all the, syst- the alert systems are working. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if it's down to tiredness or bad user interface, but um, the person coming in to do the shift change actually did a real um, missile warning. And what this does is broadcast out to everyone in um, on their mobile phone with an alert, basically saying that there is a, a ballistic missile alert and they should seek cover, um, which was quite scary for a lot of people. It's a big a issue. to receive as you're going about your day, yeah. No, no, not at all. Um, and I'm not going to dive into that. If you want to find out more, um, you can certainly have a look um, online. I'll, I'll provide a link in the show notes for, for this particular issue. But what I found interesting out of the uh, out of this is the lesson in terms of user interface, and that the, the the user interface that they had for this particular screen, where the two options for the missile test and the actual real live alert, they were very similar and very close together, yeah. and um, it just shows. Um, it just shows something that can work quite normally if you know the system, but perhaps if people are tired or they're pushed or they're rushed in some way, that actually bad user interface can have, in this case, catastrophic effects. Well, not quite catastrophic as, as, uh, as the alert um, was, was uh, talking about, but actually quite bad and quite scary for a lot of people. Yeah, I've been, I've seen the interface and uh, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, the guy made a mistake, but it's it's an understandable one when you kind of like see what he was looking at. And as you say, 
if you're not 100% mentally there, then people make mistakes. So, But you see this a lot in other um, interfaces where you might have a, um, a dialog box that does something drastic to a file, like delete yeah. it or uh, remove it from cloud backup. And either the text on there is ambiguous, so you're not exactly sure what it's going to do, um, or the buttons are very close to each other for, yes, I do want to do this, and no, I don't, absolutely do not delete that file. Um, and I find that it's it's making sure that it makes, not only it makes sense when someone looks at it, but also that it defaults to the least drastic action Yeah. Um, in case they press enter or just um, are clicking uh, in the usual area where the okay button is. Um, it's quite, it's quite, you know, it's a big user interface issue um, with those sort of things. Just to, yeah, yeah. In terms of confirmation, did he did he have to then confirm? You know, surely there should be a sort of like confirm and even a reconfirm sort of sequence. A bit like Mailchimp when you delete a yeah. Mailchimp, they kind of like it's difficult yeah. to do without actually typing in the words delete. Perhaps you know, was there anything like that in place? Um, it didn't look like it. I mean, I haven't seen the, the interface myself, but I've just seen screenshots from various different people. And it looks like what you have to do is initially select that you wanted to do yeah. a test and then you'd run down. Um, there is, it, it almost looked like something you might see from an SMS application yeah, where you yeah. can, you can select a text, um, you can select a text template and then you can customize that template and then you can send yeah. it. it. It was really basic, well, quite basic really. Yeah. Um, but I think what was meant to happen is you would select the template for the text that you wanted to apply and then say whether that was a real test or not. Yeah. So there is some double confirmation, but it didn't say if it was a real uh, real life um, notification. Are you sure this will broadcast yeah. out to the whole yeah. of uh, the entire nation? No, it didn't have anything like that as far as I'm aware. Um, speaking of bad interfaces, I hear Snapchat has uh, changed their interface design quite radically. And uh, about 1.2 million people have signed a, a petition to change this. Now, I must admit, I don't use Snapchat at all. Um, I think I get a lot of experiences when talking to my nieces and they, uh, they're they showing me all the filters and what's available in, in Snapchat and how, how fun it is, but I don't use it at all personally. Is it something you use, Jonathan? Is it? Um, can you tell us about this design change and how radical it, it is? Only, only a little from an overview perspective. I don't. I'm not a user, and I don't uh, train on it professionally, really, because it's not. You know, things change all the time, but it's not really a business tool in the UK yet. Some brands in the US, are using it. Mm -hmm. and also it's a very defined demographic as in sort of young people so um no i don't but yeah. i am aware of uh, the fact that loads of people are unhappy with the uh, with the interface change and that their share price has been struggling but i think the kylie jenner effect has been over exaggerated but certainly the, the share price uh, has been struggling as a as a result of the uh, changes that they've that they've they've brought in when uh, instagram came along and basically borrowed to be kind to facebook all their uh, their features um i the writing was on the wall as far as i'm concerned and i can't to be honest i cannot see a future for snapchat long term um which is another reason mm -hmm. i'm not really really into it uh and this redesign certainly isn't going to going to help yeah i think with the design originally it was very difficult to discover how to move around the interface but i think once you could do that it was something that you um, you were comfortable with. So what they're trying to do is move from that position where it's not discoverable, as in how you actually communicate with people, into something that is more discoverable and more intuitive, I guess, um, or at least more 
uh, at least clearer as to what to do. And I think because of who uses it and, and the value they get from it, it's not necessarily drawing in lots of newer users and perhaps lots of older users who are not so drawn into the process that they need to spend a lot of time to get over the hurdles of the interface. Yeah. That the people using it just don't want it don't want it to change. You know, they're happy with where it works, even if it's bad, yeah. or at least not not efficient. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I mean, everyone's got really short attention spans these days, and the last thing people yeah. want to do is is sort of figure out something, especially when they've got you know, back to your user interface point, when they've got really good user experience elsewhere, it's kind of a bit of a shock if they've then mm. got to relearn or even learn something initially is is like a barrier for quite a lot of people. So it just sort of has to has to work, doesn't it, for people these days. Do you think that the the interface and the way it was designed was actually something that maybe gave Snapchat a uniqueness that other social platforms didn't have. I mean, there was it, there were obviously features that it had, but also the way that you move around was quite different to a lot of other um, networks or applications even. Do you think that helped, that people felt that once you could master it, that it was actually something that you became more involved with and, and you, you knew to a deeper level? Um, it certainly was different, so because it doesn't have the sort <laughs> of traditional structure of newsfeed, profile and search, but... I'm not yeah. sure that was really an incentive for people to, to, to sign up. I think people just kind of like got used to it. I think the company wanted to do something different, but I'm not entirely convinced that that was, that was in the interest of the, of the user. They're, they're always wanting to do something different. It's kind of like part of their um, mission in a, in, a, in a sense. So that, hence the redesign, they, 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 like to be, they like to be brave. Uh, and it was a brave initial design and it's a brave initial redesign but that as we're seeing can mm. have consequences yeah well we'll see i mean as i said we we don't really um suggest using it for business um i i, I guess really because i i can't see the value from the way that we tend to advise clients on how they might put that as part of their marketing process um i think for me it's mainly because of the longevity of the content it's not really dis easily discoverable online no. it's very siloed into one area and it's, it's not something where you can produce content that will live for a long time, which is something I like to have around. I guess you could reuse content and repurpose it elsewhere. Um, I think from a communication point of view, it could be quite good if you've got that sort of audience who are very um, keyed into Snapchat, but that's not the sort of people we work with. No, exactly. So I'm going to move swiftly over to our sponsor. So this month, we're looking at TikTok. TikTok will help you promote your startup or small business online with a simple step-by-step -step process. Uh, this unique process saves time by providing relevant information when you need it. It also saves money by sharing market-tested ideas to promote your business. Every task in the TikTok process is broken up into manageable chunks so you can go from newbie to pro one task at a time. It includes examples, downloads, or the steps needed to complete it, plus a big button to tick it off when you're done, and that's one of my favorite bits. TikTok doesn't overload you with information. If you get stuck or you need help applying a task to your business, then there are friendly marketing experts as part of the system who are available to answer questions and keep you ticking so you don't feel that you're stuck. There are people that can help. So if you don't know where to start, who to trust, or are too busy running your company to make time for marketing, then TikTok is for you. Sign up for a free seven-day trial at ticked-off.com with just your email and absolutely no credit card. TikTok, it helps you be the boss of your marketing one task at a time. Okay, thank you for that and my stumbling ad read. Um, 
So moving over, we're going to look at Facebook. And the last time we spoke to you, when we had Al as well, we were talking about Facebook and approaching zero right. reach in 2017. Yeah. So I want, to, I want to go into that a little bit further and what the changes to Facebook's feed will mean for that. Um, perhaps you could give us a little um, overview of the changes they've suggested they're going to make um, in the near future. Okay, so January the 11th, Mark Zuckerberg came out with a Facebook post, of course, to uh, announce, in his words, a major change. And this involved a refocus of the newsfeed to prioritise content around friends and family, people, in other words, rather than businesses and news organisations. So that is really it in a nutshell. But the actual sort of throttling back, if you like, of content from business pages has been going on, which, as you say, we've discussed before for for quite some time now, around about four years. So it's really just a further step along the road to to zero reach. And in some cases, you might have even seen it yourself, actually, Ben. Uh, some of my clients' posts, they are now literally reaching zero people. They're not reaching anybody at all. Yeah, um, or it's very low. I mean, I had, in terms of engagement, I just completely accidentally i didn't even need to look for it i came across a post from a page the other day with uh, sixty thousand followers and the post was a day old and it had got one like so yeah and it wasn't a bad post it had a po- it had a it had a nice photo it had a catchy sort of like headline it was okay it wasn't brilliant but one like from sixty thousand. <laughs> people on their page you know um kind of not really what you'd be uh what you'd be hoping for um but that is you know this is the new the new reality now and yes i guess you know do we believe mark zuckerberg when he says he wants to make the world a better place he wants to make people more connected he wants to create his expression more meaningful interactions on facebook yeah i think it's true uh, but of course you know, you can't even say it's a side issue given the amount of money involved. Facebook is a huge money-making machine and their results, I'm surprised the media haven't sort of picked up on their results because their results are just absolutely spectacular in terms of the amounts of cash involved. Their their revenue is now over $4 billion per month really? on Facebook. Wow, they've, they've, they've yeah. done well. They've come a long way, actually, since I last looked at that. Sure. Sure. And that's actually up 50% on the previous quarter as yeah. well. So it's just been constantly, uh, constantly going up. So, so that is a factor because they're basically saying to businesses, well, look, if you want to get shown in the newsfeed, you're going to have to advertise. And when I say advertise, I also include the boosting of posts within right. that. So that is really what, uh, what the situation is at the, is, is at the moment. Yeah, it's something we have noticed as well with clients. Um, what I do find interesting, though, is that I'm not getting much pushback when people are looking at advertising on Facebook. They feel that it was inevitable that they're getting less traffic and Mm -hmm. that actually the costs are reasonably low that, and the way Facebook just gently encourages you to, oh, if you boost this post, then you'll get more people to see it. You know, this post is doing well, why not boost it to show it to more people? That they've actually been gently pushed into this without having to have 
any involvement from um, an expert a lot of the time. And I've been finding that quite interesting, that people have almost um, been slowly boiled into um, accepting advertising on Facebook and it not being a huge problem. And in fact, some people quite liking it, which is what often what I don't find about other advertising platforms, whether it be online or offline, that people sort of resent paying money for advertising. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's the same for your experience. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. They certainly have been very clever with the with that boost post mm. button. I think it's always very well positioned in the right place. It's the right sort of color, the right size. And yeah, it does make it easier for people. But a tip for listeners, though, I would always encourage people to, to go into the advertising manager and set your ad up, or even if you are just boosting a post there, simply because you've got more options and yeah. more control over the, over the setup. Um, that's probably a bit of a, a bit of an old tip now for, for people that are familiar with with ads. But yeah, it's um, it's basically it's a quick sale for Facebook, isn't it? Mm. The old boost post button, um, and it's worked. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with you. And probably a large amount of that uh, revenue increase is, uh, is is down to that. Yeah, no, I I would agree with uh, if you want to run the adverts um, more effectively, then you've got more control going through their ad ad platform. Even though I've I still find their interface confusing uh, in terms of where they lay things out, but you can get it done, and it's reasonably it was reasonably effective. And what I really like about it is the the fact you can define down to almost exactly uh, which types of people you want to get into and drill into, which you can't get from a lot of other advertising platforms so nicely. Um, but obviously, this reach issue is something that has. Um, has been quite helpful for the advertising on there, that as naturally they have changed the algorithm not to show everything that's coming through. And obviously they're gonna do it even more aggressively so now, um, that uh, they're, they're also gonna benefit as a side effect from that, which is, is great. I mean, I can understand understand why they would want to do that. Um, in fact, I don't know if you've seen this, Jonathan, but it's very relevant. There is, um, you know, the comic, The Oatmeal? We heard of that comic yep. book. Um, so there's a small one on here called um, Reaching People on the Internet. And it's just four images. And one is how it used to be. And it's got a person saying, come over, I've got some neat stuff here. And he's pointing directly to his small little house size website. And then it says, what happened? Actually, follow me over here. It's easier for us to reach each other. And he's pointing to this big tower block that is Facebook because he knows that's where everyone is already. Um and so why not go there? And he can see his audience marching over to that, that section. But, but basically what happens after that, what happens now is that actually suddenly um, that tower block is locked off and he's not able to get his followers. He, he wants to show them some new, some new stuff, but they're actually over in Facebook and it's very difficult to get them back. Um, it's, it's actually a very simple comic, but quite pertinent to what's happened here. A lot of people have enjoyed the success and removed their audience there and are now suffering from the fact that it's, that they're almost locked away and they're, you know, they're, they're very comfortable in this new place. Do you, do you think that is, that is a big issue for people? Do you think that is, that that's fine that, that a lot of the big audiences on Facebook and that's um, totally okay. And maybe you can only reach them through advertising. Um, or do you think there's time to sort of bring some of your audience back and start working harder again to maintain something on our own websites or blogs or, or other social platforms? Yeah, I think it's about balance as as always. And I would agree now might be quite a good time to, to have a look at what your balance currently is. Mm. At the end of the day, there's always going to be the classic argument that you own your own website and you own your own email list. So you have got total control over that. So that does have its advantages. 
But that said, you know, it's that word reach, isn't it? There are just so many people on Facebook, not only as users, but also as active users, that it's a classic marketing argument that you just need to be where people are spending their time. And you cannot argue that that's where people are spending their time. And then on top of that, as you just pointed out, you can be very, very targeted when it comes to reaching them. You know, it's uh, it has to be really part of the part of the mix. You know, so I, I think we're in that situation now where it's it, it's it's you know, I mean, nothing is vital. You know, is is it vital as part of your marketing? I think it probably probably is to advertise on Facebook, and also it's it's pretty much a waste of time now to, to have a Facebook page and not advertise. So yeah. I think there are, there are probably strong arguments for, uh, for, for, for allocating some of your budget towards it. It's just the new reality. You know, it's just the way, the way things are. Yeah, I agree. So, so really it's just changing the mindset to looking at Facebook as a, as a platform where they can potentially get free exposure to a platform which has very targeted advertising. Um, and enables you to really tailor who you want to speak to and get your message out to, to the right people. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, can I just give an example of that? Yeah, um, please. You mentioned about, we were both talking about how it's better to, to set up ads through the ad manager. And one thing that you get in there is uh, custom audiences. Mm. I don't know if you use them. And you know that's a terrific way of targeting because essentially there are numerous custom audiences now, but essentially the thing they have in common is that you're, you're targeting warm leads. You're targeting people that have already shown an interest in your business. So whether they've watched a video on your Facebook page, whether they're on your mailing list, whether they've visited your website in the past 30 days, all of those people you can target and conversion rates are almost always higher than other types of audience selection. So it's well worth considering custom audiences. Yeah, I think um, I think it's about just spending the time to find the right people so the money you are putting in is as effective yeah. as you can as you can make it. Yeah, I like those. Um, so you're meant that's talking about one of one of the areas you can do there is to upload a list of emails. So if you've got a customer list of emails, you can upload in right. Facebook and it'll match them with um, with the people it already knows. And if they've got the same email account, it will match those and create a custom audience. Yeah, it's great. And then there's the other one with the Facebook pixel. Um, so if you get yeah. people to come to the website, it'll create them. It'll create an audience from that. And again, and yeah, it's, it's like um, remarketing, which you see on um, uh, Google AdWords. And yeah. understanding that once people have seen an advert or visited your site, that you can then target them when they go elsewhere. Sometimes, I mean, we've spoken about in this podcast, that could be bloody annoying. Um, if done in the wrong way, um, yeah. But it is still effective if you are if you are looking at it rather than I'm going to bombard people with a message to come and buy something that we're going to keep warming them up until they are ready to buy, and we're going to keep providing them with whatever it is that will help them in some way, whether it's something funny or util- some useful information, and keep providing that until they're ready to buy. And then maybe as you as they start coming, maybe you could be linking them through to certain blog posts or other things that they videos that they see and then that can trigger them into a different audience where you can start sending them more specific messages but i agree it's it's definitely worth digging into if you can get past some of the the depth of the interface yeah yeah no uh yeah some good suggestions there and a couple couple more i think um you know i'm not a gdpr expert but 
right now you can uh, export your LinkedIn connections and put Facebook ads in front of them. So if you've got a fair few LinkedIn connections, that might be worth doing before, is it May the 25th? That, uh, yeah, before the end of May. Uh, yeah. yeah, so um, that can be uh, that can be quite interesting. And another one is targeting people who, if you're do- if you're offering a, um, you know, this is quite niche, but if you're offering a sort of freemium type service where you've got a whole bunch of subscribers or members, and then the next step is to, to get them upgraded, then again you can target those people. Who have signed up with you but haven't yet sort of uh, taken the step to to paying you any money? That's mm. another quite effective one because you can you can highlight the benefits of upgrading and once again there you've kind of half got them, haven't you? Because they're they're finding your service useful presumably if they've signed up. It's just getting them, as Ben says, it's getting them further along the line. Yeah, because what I think what a lot of businesses would like is for them to put out a message and people to buy instantly. And that's generally not what happens. If people already know about your product, already have a particular need for it, then you might strike them at the right time. But most of the time, but they can actually be the most picky of um, the audience, really, because they already know what they want. So they've already been looking around. They already have a fair idea of price and they may already have earmarked some idea of where they're going to buy it from. But the best way is to try and capture people who have that particular need, that problem, and and obviously, if you are getting, you are capturing them, then it's not to sell to them as soon as you can. It's to really try and warm them up and provide that, the valuable information that they'll find at the right time. But anyway, it can be it's, yeah. it can be quite fun, but also quite difficult. But I think if you, it, it's worth trying to play that longer game with it because I think you're, in the end, you 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 might win by blasting out an advert that hits a lot of people and you get something from it. But ultimately, it's not very effective and it's not the best way to spend money. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like with everything, there's a there's a couple of exceptions on that. I think if you've got an exceptionally good offer and it's like a very yeah. clear proposition and for certain business sectors, like I'm doing a bit of work with a holiday company at the moment. So something like that, it's kind of, you know, you're going on holiday, you're going to go on holiday sort of thing. So if the offer's right, then I think... Oh, don't talk to me about holidays. We've been looking at something for half term, um, end of term. And boy, it's, it's, the, it's the most painful experience trying to find... Um, either a deal with everything together or separately That's accommodation it. flights and so on. Oh my, I, it just, I can, I can deal with complicated code or solving problems with servers or even, even dealing with people, but finding holidays Holiday online. Does you end, does it? Oh, it's so hard. It's such hard work, but you're right. If, if, if the right offer comes at the, at the time when you are looking and, and it fits within the profile of what you want. Yeah, absolutely. It can, it can make people it can make people jump. But yeah, and that, that can only been... work if you've got a way of moving people like on price or it's so unique. That's right. That's offer. right. Yeah, it's got to be a very special offer. I think events is probably similar as well because if there's an event at a particular time, yeah, yes, going and you've got you know, then that can work. But uh, but yeah, I agree with you. By and large, it's much much better to move people along a journey down down the funnel, up the funnel, whatever jargon you want to use. <laughs> Um, you mentioned GDPR, and I was going to bring that up with, with relationship to owning the audience, because you mentioned about having a blog, having a website, and owning the audience. With, with We've been talking a little bit about GDPR and how that might affect people. Um, we've been to some conferences on it. We're speaking to a lot of clients on it. We're going through the process ourselves. I'm sure, sure you are as well. Um, and with that, do you think that 
a lot of people's email lists, if they haven't been able to manage it right, or they haven't been sending compelling information, as they do try and seek permission from people to um, for them to main, stay on the list or, or resubscribe to a new list, do you think a lot of people's email lists are going to just disappear or fall away? And actually, they, they might have to go back to um, uh, Facebook advertising if they, if they didn't have a sort of a following audience to begin with. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. I mean, I think certainly if people are going to do the resubscription, I mean, I, as I understand it, I don't think you have to if your audience is already double opted in. Is that, no, if, if they've already opted in, then you just need to prove yeah. that they have um, requested to be on your list and they have given you permission. But a lot of people haven't. So they've built them up over customer lists or people they've collected from various different sources. And it's so muddled that they yeah. couldn't prove any yeah. particular person had uh, given permission. Yeah, yeah, and certainly a lot of people are kind of almost uh, starting from starting from scratch as such. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and I think if you are starting from scratch, there's going to be a massive hit to the number of people that are going to resubscribe because you're doing pretty well. If like 25%, you're doing really well, I think, if, if about you're more of an expert in this area than me, but, you know, sort of 20, 25% open rate is really good, isn't it? So exactly, yeah. If you're, if you're losing 75, 80%, before you've even sort of started to try and get them to resubscribe, then that's tough. So yeah, I think people will be looking at other uh, other avenues and other ways to to, to grow their audience. Mm. And uh, yeah, Facebook ads could be uh, could be a way to to do that. Sure. Okay, thank you. Um, so normally we'd move on and I'd uh, give out a podvert like we did with yours last month, um, but we have no podverts this month. No one has found uh, that they want to promote any product or service on our on our podcast. So I'm rather disappointed. So this is um, an angry Ben, or slightly cross Ben, should we say? I'm not angry, slightly cross. I'm, dis I'm disappointed in you listeners. Um, if you would like to promote your product or service, all you need to do is just tweet us, at Rather Inventive, with the hashtag um, podvert, and we'll read it out over the coming episodes. And it's interesting, Jonathan, because... With podverts, it just shows how much you need to motivate people to get them to do things. Um, because often, if you if you chivvy round and 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 um, wrangle people, then then you'll get you'll get podverts. So it's it's quite interesting that mm. even though we're giving away something for free, yeah, where they benefit from not just a mention in this podcast, but also a backlink to their website as uh, from the show notes. Oh yeah, that it still it still requires some real pushing to get people to do it. Yep, which yep. is always fascinating. Yeah, I, I just think people are kind of like, uh, I mean, it's just a bit boring to say everybody's busy, but everybody just, to me, I think people are busier than they than they were, for sure. Uh, it seems that people have got so many different sort of projects and other things going on and demands on their time through all the social networks and all the emails that they're trying to keep up with, that it is, uh, it is quite a, a struggle to do something out of your, out of your regular day, even if... The, the proposition is is valuable for you. It's just that if it's got to take that bit of time, then uh, people are reluctant to do it. I came across another example the other day where a business gives away on their newsletter, they have like a, a rolling prize fund and it's, yeah. a, it's a free draw. So all you have to do is like check your number on the email. But this thing rolled over every week for more than a year because nobody claimed it. So that's like, you know, 52 people missed out there. I think it was one on sort of like week two of the second year. So yeah. 50, 50, 50, 
two, 54 people missed out. And, but essentially, you know, you're giving away free money there, but people just couldn't take the 30 seconds it takes just to just to check their, whether they're a winner or not. So, yeah. It, no, it, it, it definitely is. And, I, you know, I understand. I, I totally understand it. I'm exactly the same. So I'm, I'm not that disappointed with you people. I totally understand why it is. And, and for us, it's more of an experiment. It, it's a way of us experimenting with engagement um, with this show uh, um, and the social media and um, and the clients we have, so I'm, it, it's not it's not a problem for us. It's something that's fun to try out. Um, but I, I do know that you know, however many people listen to this show, that is um, that they may be driving at the time, they might be like me walking the dog or doing something else, and it's just not something they can do right at that moment in time anyway. Even if they really wanted to do it, so. Often, until you get a big enough audience where you're going to get a small enough percentage of people who are, who happen to be at a computer or ready to do that or re- will remember to do it at that time, and, and that's where that sort of thing kicks off. And it's um, to me, it's you're, you're going to see that at um, I don't know what that tipping point is, but uh, it'll be interesting to see when that tipping point happens because again, that's useful data for us to see how that works. Um, but Jonathan, I do appreciate it when you have done them in the past, so thank you for that. No worries. Right. Okay, moving on, we're going to talk very briefly about the chickenless KFC. Now, I must admit, I don't know much about this news story, but what caught my attention is an article about um, a woman who ranted about going to Burger King, having to go to Burger King after finding out that KFC was closed because they didn't have any chicken. Um, and she, there was a video of her, and she seemed quite cross about it. Um, to me personally, if KFC was closed, if I, you know, on on the very rare t- occasion that I go to KFC and it's closed, I I, I I I wouldn't be that disappointed. I'd probably think, well, that's a lucky save on that on that occasion. Um, but what was it fascinating about is not her rant was that she went to Burger King to get, a, um, and KFC offered her a free rice box because I think she posted this on social media. Mm. And what Burger King did was quite interesting is they offered her um uh, a year's supply of food to win her over yeah i think this is becoming more commonplace now where uh, particularly in the fast food area for some reason where the brands are sort of battling it out online mm. to, uh, to to win customers uh they also sort of have a go at each other in a, in a fun sort of way sometimes yeah. which is quite uh, quite quite interesting or quite friendly but uh uh yeah but nevertheless competition is is, is quite fierce to try and almost rule the roost over uh, in social media yeah it, it's very funny actually watching some of the some of the tweets because either either you could ignore this situation and uh, maybe she doesn't really have uh, many followers it's not going to get that big um and in in you responding or doing something about it you will um a- amplify that a message that she's she's putting out there or or you jump in and say well we'll own it we'll, we'll do something about this um and I thought that was quite interesting uh, that they're going to do that. But but it's the way that they they react together, the way they're sort of these one-upmanship, one-upmanships uh, and the, the language they use is very, very informal. It's very interesting. I was just going to say KFC ended by saying uh, after, after Burger King had raised their leftover rice box to a year's supply of fresh Burger King, um, KFC said, putting all your chips on the table, bold move, Burger King. When our chips arrive, we will match your stakes and two, put all our chips on the table. I'm not sure I like the way they've written that. Uh, until then, we have limited chips. So not only have they said, actually, we would do that, but we just don't have any food. So they're echoing back to the situation they're in at the moment, which is a bit of an odd yeah. one. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen any other things on social media that are like that, that are, um, have been sort of a good way uh, where you've seen two brands battling it out? 
not over a customer, but uh, certainly in, like I say, in the in the fast food, particularly Burger King and McDonald's have a have a set too from uh, from time to time. Um, but uh, yeah, it's maybe we're going to see uh, see more of this. Um, it's certainly an interesting development. I think if they can if they can be quite creative and, and funny with it, then it could certainly win a few customers over. Yeah. No, it's it's quite funny. It's it's certainly interesting to see. Um, the reason I like it is just looking at how people respond, especially when you're a big brand on social media and there's a lot riding on what you say or what you don't say. And it's just mm-hmm. interesting to follow along and see uh, how this language works. Yeah, um, I think it's a, just to sort of finish off on that, 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 that they're always trying to look for an opportunity almost, whatever the the situation is, to try and, to try and do something with it. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the um, the KFC tweet today, where they've written uh, FCK on a on a on a takeaway mug and written a tweet around that, <laughs> and, like, owning up to their, uh, owning up to their problems, which I thought was quite uh, quite amusing. Yes, that's right. I did. I I don't know if I can find it now. Oh yeah, there's an apology ad. Yeah. Um, let me just pull that up. That um, that's right. Yeah, FCK. We're sorry. A chicken restaurant without any chicken. Well, that's owning the problem, isn't it? <laughs> Starting yeah. off with a, with that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what else can you do when it when it when it's blown up to that extent? You may as well own the problem, or, or other people will, and they'll make yeah. you know they'll control the message then. So, um, it is it is a good example in how to do it. Whether it's the um, what I what I find conflicts slightly with the way I view things is this. Um, attitude that some people have that you can you can moan on or whinge on um social media or to their media outlets and things start to happen um and it's it's really base problems very simple problems the fact that she can't get her kfc maybe that's where you know that there is a long drive to go and get something else i don't know the independence that you know the situation she's in but Mm. to me it seems like very much seeking an opinion uh sort of seeking recognition and and wanting wanting free stuff or wanting something to make yourself feel good i don't know if you if you feel that that there's a lot of people on social media that can that are driving like the darker side of it or the sort of the narcissistic side of social media yeah i think you know people have figured out that it does work this sort of like uh well it's almost brand shaming isn't it if you're um having a bit of a bit of a moan in in in, in public and i think a lot of the time it's legitimate but just as people in days gone by would write write a letter or phone up with a sort of uh, bogus complaint you get the feeling that there's quite a bit of that flying around on uh, on social as well oh yeah so on the note of brand shaming and uh, uh, or p- shaming people on twitter have you have you read the book by oh, I'm, I'm i'm blanking on his name now um the book is titled so you've been publicly shamed on twitter i've heard him talk uh and uh i am aware of the book john ronson just kind of thank you you got there quicker than me (laughs) yeah uh and yeah very interesting guy uh i mean he's there he's approaching it from the other perspective maybe maybe a sequel will be (laughs) be the brand sort of being shamed but he's looking at it from a public sort of shaming point of view where uh, the hordes on Twitter sort of um, descend on uh, on somebody for for saying the wrong thing or tweeting the wrong the wrong thing, and the impact of uh, of that, which is quite uh, quite fascinating, as kind of like a bit of a uh, a lynch mob mentality. To yeah, do. that's right. It's a real insight into that side, which I don't tend to get too involved in. Um, and it's a really interesting book. I got the audible version because uh, it's very easy to access. 
Um, and I wouldn't, I don't know, I, for me, I don't feel there's much difference in the way people approach a mob or mobbing people on Twitter who they felt have said something wrong or out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the same with a brand. It's just that brands are more in the public eye and more likely to get noticed if they step out of line or say something that people don't like or do something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um Whereas some of the people in here have very small following and for some reason they, they, their message has found its way into the sort of bigger Twitter sphere. Yeah, fascinating book. Yeah. Um, right, just moving on and to, to finish uh, where we are, there's a couple of links that I'm going to pull up and just mention to everyone. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them, uh, Jonathan, but I'll just rattle through them. So the first one is um, titled How Sarah Jones Grew SEO Traffic from 8K to 30K in four months by binge watching Rand Fishkin videos. So Rand Fishkin is the founder of uh, Moz, which is uh, an SEO uh, search optimization website and community. And they've got lots of tools for that sort of stuff. Um, She runs a dating website called Introverted Alpha, and she was spending a lot of money on SEO. And apparently they actually damaged the traffic and brought it down from quite high to to, uh, quite a low 8,000 a month for her anyway. which I, I think is terrible. I mean, to, to actually pay a significant amount of money to a company who then damages your reputation online with Google is, is terrible. It's horrible. It's something I, you know, so conscious of when, we, when we're working on a website that you, that you don't lose traffic and you only want to gain traffic. Uh, is, that, is that something you heard about? Did you see that um, article? I have seen the headline, but I haven't got around to, to reading it yet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, can't really say too much, uh, too much about that. Okay, well, I recommend you should you should read it. Um, there's pro- probably a lot of stuff that people know in there, um, and the key the key uh, idea that came out of it is that I think the SEO company working from a very um, uh, black not not a black hat approach, but they were very much trying to put in keywords in the, in in the wrong places. What she was already doing is writing lots of content. And what she needed to do and what they found worked was to refocus that content into almost reviewing the content that worked, looking back at their stats, and looking back at what's working on social media for them, and then using that as a guide to the content that works best so they can produce more of that in the future. Um, and also just linking between pages. Some of the things they hadn't done were just making sure that when they write a blog article, it links to a relevant page that people might be interested in and helps drive that traffic forward rather than people dipping into a blog post and dipping out again. Sorry, just say I like the first point there because there's uh, parallels with uh, my training on social media with that one in that you can mm-hmm. use analytical tools on all the uh, big five platforms to, to see basically which which content's working. So posts in the case of Facebook, tweets in the case of Twitter, mm-hmm. and exactly like you're saying with the blog posts, focus your attention on on, on those. It's pretty doesn't take too long to see which kind of like content is is flying out the door, so to speak, and, and which content is just sitting there and not being engaged with at all. So it's just uh, re uh, repackaging up your objectives in terms of content as a as a result of, of what's actually happening. Yeah, it's always good good to look back at things. Yeah. Um, one of the observations they had about their audience is that they were trying to push out content that people would share. And what they realized is that people don't want to share that they're having problems dating or um, <laughs> articles in and around that. Yeah. So if you, have a content, if you have a content strategy that relies on social media to push that message, it's just not going to work because people aren't going to want to share it. So what yeah. they decided to do is carry on with some similar content, but really design that content to draw people into the site 
and read more content once they're on the site rather than encouraging to share it with other people because that just didn't work. Um, so that was an interesting insight. You know, going through this process kind of forced her to look hard at it. Anyway, so I, I recommend going to the um, website link. It's, uh, the, it's actually on a blog article on fieldbloom.com. No, uh, the link will be in the notes. And then also go and look at Moz as well, moz.com. We've got lots of useful resources online for um, doing your own SEO. Um, another quick one, two links here uh, produced in-house, uh, one from Claire on uh, how to make a great video. And she's got a short guide on the key elements to producing videos. Um, and actually working with Claire recently, we were looking at the watch time stats for a recent client. And when we found there was a big drop-off in viewers um, in, say, the first uh, three to seven seconds, and do you know what it coincided with? It coincided with uh, if there were any intro slides or branding at the beginning or static images. So anything really where it wasn't getting into the action quickly, you could instantly see a drop off until the video in pro proper started. And then, then it would be a steady decline as you normally get, um, which I knew. That's interesting. Um, you yeah. know, quite a lot of uh, companies spend, the larger companies are more inclined to actually stick some intro stuff up, whereas those with yeah. with lesser resources will often get straight into the action, as you're saying. So interesting. Yeah, yeah it is. And um, so this was a two-step process. We first did that, and um, basically, rather than re-uploading the videos, she, she was able just to edit off the um, the intros just in, in YouTube itself, so you're not affecting the amount of views it had. Um, and then we reviewed that later, maybe about six months later, and sort of to optimize it a bit more, and found there was one video that was doing really, really well, um, but it had a, an image, a static image of the um, machine that it was talking about right at the beginning for three seconds. And you just saw um, it was something like a 20% drop off in views over oh. the three seconds the image was online, it was um, visible. After that, it had a steady drop off again. So, so that'll be removed and we'll see how, that, how much that impacts it. But, but you're right. A lot of bigger brands who spent money on their brand, um, and I, I'd actually say not even the biggest brands, I think they may be aware of this. In fact, they probably are aware of it, but it's the people in the middle who who have put, sunk a lot of money into their brand. They think it's really important and they want to show it off. And I would, my argument would say, don't do that. Get straight into what you're talking about. Have all of the sort of glory stuff about your brand and call to action and what they should do right at the end. Um, so that's on our blog. I'll link to it in the show notes. And then just finally, um, this is one from Lou. Do you have customers or an audience? And it's all about, why building an audience of people is uh, who will come to you and want to hear your message is much more important than just trying to find customers. You know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd be aware of this as well, Jonathan, that you want to build people who want to follow and who are interested in what you're doing and who will move when you ask them to move and, and do things when you post stuff Definitely. rather than just pushing information out there. Definitely, yeah. And I think that's a more even more important now with... Uh, with the Facebook changes we were talking about earlier, if you can have a sort of uh, almost a subset of that group that you're talking about that are very passionate about what you do and you can get them sharing out your content and engaging with it, that can be, uh, that can be really quite, uh, quite powerful. Yeah, that's right. So knowing, knowing who the people are who follow you and who retweet and who, who supports you working towards them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's even a bit of uh, jargon developing around that concept, actually. Uh, some people refer to it as, um, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, influencer circles. 
Uh, yes, influencers definitely not the not the influencer circles, but influencers, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like the same concept in essence, but but having a having a group of them rather than just just one person. We went to a conference called WXG. Time for um, another coffee. Last year. <laughs> yeah, I need some more. Um, it, I say we. It was just me actually. Um, I went to a conference called WXG, and there was a guy there. I forget his name, but I will link the the blog post which will have his name in it because um, I did a little summary. Um, in fact, yeah, we, we talked about it on a previous blog post and the, what the guy was from a, like a social media marketing company. And what he had is, um, a, a set of different influencer circles that, uh, that they would, they would pay. So they, they would find people who had some sort of influence with a small amount of following and they didn't have to have many followers. And they would basically recruit those people into their platform for want of a better word. Yep. So if you had a, a brand or a company who wanted to, um, get their message out through social media, then they were able to get people in their, these influencer circles to post a message out or retweet something that yep. uh, the brand was putting out. And yep. uh, it was quite interesting to see how much, once you have enough people that can push a message at a similar time, then you can start getting it trending and start building that momentum and reach a tipping point where more people will pile into it. Yeah, that's that's right. The guy wasn't from a social chain by any chance, was he? The speaker. That sounds familiar to me. I'm just going to quickly look and see if I can find it on here. But um, it's kind of yeah, like that sounds very familiar. It's kind of like how they uh, started off, and that's still part of their their modus operandi. Yeah, he did. He ran an experiment with us at uh, at the conference where he asked us to say WXG 2017 is awesome or something like that, and if yeah. with a certain hashtag, and if everyone tweeted it, it did actually start trending. Yeah. Um, with not that many people in there, there's yep. just enough people doing it all at the same time. We managed to get it trending pretty quickly. Yeah. So it just shows that you can, if you can get enough people to to move to jump at the right time, you can. Sure. Well, they say move the earth. <laughs> um, for, for anybody that uh, wants to try this out, it's also very relevant, significant if you can do it as soon as possible after the post has been published or the tweet has been uh, put out there. I'm right. Fine. So this is getting the people, your um, your circle of influencers to yep. promote whatever you're pushing out as soon as possible afterwards. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Right. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, Jonathan, I appreciate your time. I know it's last minute, so I appreciate you stepping in for right. Al. Do you, um, do you have anything to promote? Have you got any LinkedIn or other workshops coming up soon that you want to mention? For any other workshops, uh, just on my website, intranetfuture.com, all the upcoming workshops are listed there. So to finish, you can find the show notes for this episode on our website, ratherinvented.com slash podcast, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Ben Kinnaird, and Jonathan, you are? At Intranet Future across all social media. And if you want a bit of fun, check out my virtual assistant, who I call Henry, on my Facebook page. So just search at Internet Future on Messenger or go to uh, the Internet Future Facebook page. I have seen that, actually. I haven't checked him out, but I will do now. Um, so thank I you. You haven't bought Henry a cup of coffee yet, Ben. No. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Our sponsor this month is Ticked Off. So if you want to go to ticked-off.com and sign up for your seven-day free trial, um, please do that now. Um, but if you want to be part of the show, do send in your business, marketing, or creativity questions for the next episode as a tweet to at ratherinventive, or you can email hello at ratherinventive.com. If you want one of those lovely podvots I mentioned earlier, 
tweet your product or service you'd like to promote, mention at Rather Inventive with the hashtag Podvert, and we'll read it out over the coming episodes. Thank you again, Jonathan. Lovely to speak to you and hope to catch you again soon. Welcome. Speak soon. Boom, dick it, 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 bo